My major pain has, has been invisible. The mobility aid makes it better. It gives me freedom. It can get to the core beliefs we have about ourselves. Don't ever think you're alone. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Claudia about their mysterious chronic pain and chronic illness journey. Back in 2009, Claudia woke up one day in mysterious pain that they describe as level 10 pain, being unable to walk and experiencing uncontrollable muscle spasms. Claudia ended up going to the Mayo Clinic, and this is the first time on the podcast to my memory that we've been able to interview someone who actually went through the process of diagnostics at the Mayo Clinic. After this process, Claudia ended up with sort of a non-diagnosis of myofacial pain disorder of unknown etiology with muscle spasms, which is basically just repeating back to Claudia the symptoms that they came into the Mayo Clinic describing. Fast forward to this year and Claudia was just diagnosed with sarcoidosis. According to StopSarcoidosis.org, Sarcoidosis is an inflammatory disease characterized by the formulation of granulomas, tiny clumps of inflammatory cells in one or more organs of the body. When the immune system goes into overdrive and too many of these clumps form, they can interfere with an organ's structure and function. When left unchecked, chronic inflammation can lead to fibrosis, which is the permanent scarring of organ tissue. Continuing on the same website, sarcoidosis is a diagnosis of exclusion meaning that doctors will oftentimes have to rule out other possible diseases before confirming that your symptoms are caused by sarcoidosis. There is no objective test which can easily diagnose sarcoidosis. Numerous exams and tests are required to confirm your diagnosis and help your doctor decide on the best treatment options. Although Claudia has been told that they have sarcoidosis, they are still bouncing back and forth from specialist to specialist, trying to find out what that means, trying to find out what the next steps are, and if there's anything actionable that this information can provide that will help with their constant pain. Claudia is an amazing person, so fun to talk to, an incredible activist, an influencer, an all-around amazing human being that I was thrilled to have on the show. And this conversation was so fun. We laughed so much, even talking about these serious topics. I'm really excited to be able to share it with you, and we'll get to it in just a couple minutes. As we will discuss during the interview, Claudia is someone I met through the Star Trek TikTok community. And uh, we'll tell you more about that when the interview starts, but I do have some really exciting news about my Star Trek TikTok career. This is super unrelated to chronic illness and chronic pain, but something that I'm really excited about and I just have to share. Besides creating this podcast, my other content creation project is that I have been green screening myself into every episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, my favorite show of all time, and turning it into sort of an absurdist comedy. <laughs> and I was contacted a couple weeks ago by a social media company representing Paramount asking if I would create a TikTok where I green screen myself into Star Trek The Motion Picture because Paramount is launching a campaign to promote their re-release of the remastered edition, the director's edition of Star Trek The Motion Picture. And of course, I had to say yes. So this came out a couple days ago uh, on Star Trek Day, actually. I released this TikTok that I created for Paramount. This is the first time that I've ever been hired to green screen myself into Star Trek. It was an absolute thrill for me, actually literally a dream come true, something that I've mentioned to Andy many times, you know, how cool would it be if I was ever, you know, contacted by Paramount to do some sort of sponsorship, and it has happened. You can find it on my other TikTok account, not the Major Pain Podcast TikTok account, but my 
my nerdy sci-fi Star Trek account at Jesse Mercury. I'm thrilled with what I created. I'm so proud of it. I uh, I can't even believe that this has happened. And one of the things I'm so excited about is that Paramount is sending me a swag box. And I don't know what that means yet. I haven't received it yet. I can't wait to see what Paramount sends me as a thank you for creating a TikTok to promote a movie that I grew up loving. So this is just <laughs> so cool. I had to share it with you here on the podcast. Before we get into our conversation with Claudia, I have to thank our community of listeners who are supporting this podcast on Patreon, who I am so incredibly appreciative of. You are helping me to create this content, and it means the world to me. Extra special thank you to our Patreon producers who are supporting this show at the top tier of $25 per month, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Your support is otherworldly, and it is so appreciated. If you are interested in supporting this podcast for as little as $2 per month, check out our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast. There is recognition and gifts and bonus episodes available to our Patreon community, and I hope you will consider supporting this show. Another great way to support this show and support the chronic illness community is through Rare Patient Voice. So if you have a diagnosis of any kind, if you have sarcoidosis or if you have something like hyperhidrosis that we discussed on the podcast last week, any diagnosis at all, and you would like to participate in paid research studies and surveys, check out our link to Rare Patient Voice. It is in the description, the show notes of this episode, rarepatientvoice.com slash podcast. If you sign up through Rare Patient Voice through that link, you will be supporting this show and also setting yourself up to participate in these research studies and surveys where you can be paid an average of $100 per hour to answer questions about what you experience with your diagnosis. And this is also open to caregivers. This is such a cool program that I'm excited to be partnered with here on the podcast, and I hope you will check it out. Don't forget to connect with this podcast on social media. We are on TikTok and Instagram at Major Pain Podcast. Send us an email if you have any questions for myself or our guests, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. Or if you're interested in appearing on the show, if you have a chronic illness or disability story that you would like to share, I would love to hear from you. Don't forget to leave us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That's one of the best ways to help the show reach new listeners. Your support is deeply appreciated. Your listenership is appreciated. Uh, seeing this podcast grow and reach new people has been one of the great joys of my life, and I'm so glad that you're here to be a part of it. I'll remind you that my guest and I are not medical professionals. We are real-life chronic illness, chronic pain patients discussing our experiences. So please do not take any medical action based off what you hear on this show without first consulting your doctor. And with that, we're going to jump into our fantastic conversation with Claudia about their mystery, illness, and chronic pain journey. Claudia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I'm so excited to talk to you today. <laughs> we just had to rip ourselves away from talking about Star Trek, which was really difficult. <laughs> like... <laughs> But we got to talk about other things. So, Claudia, let's get to know you a little bit. Why don't you tell us about yourself? Um, so, it's always so difficult. I feel like I could speak for 90 minutes. Um, but I will 
say, my name's Claudia Alec. My gender pronouns are they, theirs, she, hers. I am a black woman um, who identifies as non-binary and I have a transmedia social justice practice. So I've been producing cultural productions. And I find that to be the, the best term because I've been producing everything from live theater, film, television, on um, the sort of community events that can take place both live as well as on television simultaneously. So I could tell you stories about that. Really large scale things, including like thousands of participants, you know, projects where it's like, oh, everybody's doing the same play on the same date all over the country, things mm. like that. <laughs> but also like experimental digital projects, um, as well as I've been deeply excited and a little just very, very invested in what I've been thinking of is micro audiences. Like these platforms want us to um, present to like thousands at the same time. And I'm actually trying to create meaning making spaces for fundamental shift and change and the kind of experiences you have that feel fundamental. And I find that that happens more intensely and more effectively with intimate audiences. Mm. So I'm crafting spaces for um, not only education and entertainment, but also empowerment. And they're for my marginalized community. My stuff is for us. It's by us and it's for us and it's empowering us. And also in many ways, I'm working to decolonize all of the models we use to produce everything. So part of my practice is because I need money to do all of this. And it turns out doing things for us by us. Our communities have been generationally, uh, what's the word, um, oppressed, suppressed, stolen from. So it just means we don't have like generational wealth mm -hmm. and like stuff to play with. So I am getting my reparations by helping to decolonize dominant culture infrastructure. So I'm doing things like a workshop for Broadway, for a Broadway production on how they can be more accessible through a lens of disabled justice and racial wow. justice. Um, I'm working with um, a really cool project that's about AR and VR and, and disabled presencing. I'm doing AI art that's about just defeating Black women into the data set so that when I put in the word doctor, a Black woman comes out. So I'm it's all kinds of projects. I'm a little all over the place. I've got a lot of <laughs> podcasts. I've got a lot of live talk spaces. Um, I'm a gigantic nerd. So we could talk about about, I think, any cultural property in comics or in like sci-fi movies, TV, and we can have a long conversation because I love all of that stuff. Um, and yeah, those are some of the things I'm working on. You, you can always go to callingupjustice.com and just like Google things or, or not Google, but like search terms and things will come up. It's prolific. Yeah. I apologize for not being able to more efficiently describe my practice. I mean, that was pretty great. I feel like I have a great idea of, of what you do. And I feel like it's very important work. And I, uh, I'm thrilled to, to have gotten to know you recently through our Star Trek connections. <laughs> we met doing a uh, disability and Star Trek panel for the Acting Captain podcast uh, just like a couple weeks ago. It hasn't come out yet as we're recording this. Um, but everyone who was on that panel was amazing. And I've... I'm hopefully going to be interviewing all three of the other participants about their major pains. And this is the first one we're doing. So, um, but I mean, I have to ask you like a Star Trek question. I know <laughs> just one before we jump into this. 
<laughs> so what is your favorite Star Trek? I know you've seen it all. Oh, I don't have a favorite Star Trek. I have a favorite. I, I couldn't even say that Star Trek is my favorite. I love mythologies and gigantic stories. And I've been loving Star Trek since I was a young child because it was one of the few cultural properties that had entry points for a black woman. Mm. So I was giving it a lot of audience loyalty from a very young age. And that came from my family. My mother was a big Star Trek fan. And wow. so I've been watching all of them. I love all of them. Discovery is my favorite right now. Yeah. But come on with Uhura. Come on. Anything with Uhura. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Discovery has gotten so good. Like season four was exceptionally good. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> book. Oh. I know. I feel like book is like, uh, is to discovery what Riker's beard is to next generation. <laughs> I, would, I would actually argue that going to the future was the Riker's beard of that series. Yeah. I like the idea of Riker's beard now being like, I'm no longer going to be referring to things jumping the shark. I'm just going to be talking about when this series had its Riker's beard moment. Yeah. When got- this, when this series found itself and, you know, found its footing. And yeah, it is jumping to the future, but I like to think of it as book because I love that character. And he's that's when he shows up. Anyway, okay, let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about chronic illness, shall we? Um, Claudia, what is your major pain? Ah, yes. So thank you for inviting me into talking about my major pain. Um, my initial major pain came about in, I want to say, 2009. I'd have to go back to Twitter, but I was Twittering about it in real time as it was taking place. And it was a mysterious pain. It was a level 10 pain that brought me to my knees where I was one night in a theater, just being like, yay, great, do that taxi in the morning. And then woke up the next day in level 10 pain and unable to walk. And I lived in a second floor apartment. So it was like, oh, this is a problem. And um, that that set off a series of adventures of me. I'm um, be- and here's the funny thing: I was already a disabled advocate, mm. so like I'd gotten my job, and I had spent all of this social capital and done my own outside fundraising because the institution was like, "It's really cute and sweet that you want to make your stage accessible, but like we can't afford to do that. That's why we <laughs> haven't." Because it's not in the budget. I was like, mm. okay, I'll just go to the New England Foundation for the Arts. It doesn't matter that I'm on literally the other coast. I'm going to go to them and be <laughs> like, hey, can you help me make my stage accessible? Could I have $10,000 to rebuild it? Also, the stage had like a soft spot in it. We needed to rebuild that stage anyway. So like it was <laughs> win. We were making things accessible for my wheelchair dancers because yeah. I wanted to see Axis dance. I wanted to book them. And then in the middle of me doing all of that, I get hit with some mysterious illness and now I can't walk. Now I'm in, um, now I need a wheeled thing to get me places. Now I need that ramp. If I had not done the six months of advocacy, fundraising, and, and frankly, rule breaking to make something happen, I would have, I would not have been able to do my job. So that was huge. Um, so yeah, I ended up going to the Mayo Clinic and the Mayo Clinic, they they did a whole bunch of tests and they were like, I came in saying, I don't know what to do. I woke up one day and I was in level 10 pain and my entire body hurts and my muscles hurt. My muscles hurt here specifically. And my body is jerking around uncontrollably and I don't know what to do. And they were like, excellent. After all of our tests, we have said that you now have a myofascial pain disorder of unknown etiology with muscle spasms. Wow. And I was like, that's literally repeating 
back. <laughs> Fancy doctor. Yeah. I don't know why this is happening to me. Unknown etiology. My muscles hurt. Muscle pain disorder. Uh, I was, I mean, it was nice to have doctors confirm that it was not. It's it's very useful to have a bunch of um, professionals say this is not psychological. This is not in your head. Yeah. There is something actually happening with your body that's making you hurt. I was so naive. I thought that my medical industrial complex experience was going to be like on house where mm-hmm. I would go and, and like really I thought that's what the Mayo Clinic was going to be because yeah. like regular doctors I was like okay I'm used to you not knowing what you're doing being being having like a weird fragility response of like if you don't know getting weird and angry at me like I kind of got that but I thought Mayo was going to be like house and they would do all the tests and be like this is what's wrong with you and I just got lots of bills and they mostly were like, keep doing what you're doing. And then mm. I got back to the regular doctor and she looked at the Mayo Clinic stuff and was like, oh, fibromyalgia. Uh, and I was like, it doesn't say fibromyalgia anywhere. Yeah. Nowhere in there. And she's like, no, it's fibromyalgia. I'm going to treat you like you have fibromyalgia and write that down over and over again in all your records. And I was like, I don't you don't know what you're doing. And you're, I think you might be doing harm, mm. but don't have the energy to fight this. I'm just trying to maintain my more than full-time job that requires me to do a bunch of stuff. So I got as many assistive devices as possible. I had my scooter. I have my walker. I've got my cane. Um, but I've been living in constant pain every single day of my life since then. I was on a lot of painkillers initially, and I found that they messed with my cognition. Uh, so I and also I think that there was some kind of racket going on. I really do. I think the doctors were getting like kickbacks because I kept saying these opiates don't do anything. They're not working. I don't want them. And they just kept pushing them. I had such a high like they, I was like taking like six of those pills every single day. It was nuts. So finally, I just stopped taking them. And that was me breaking the doctor's rules. But I was like, these don't they aren't working. And I need to know what my actual pain level is without this. And then I discovered it's pretty much the same. These pills just make me itchy and irritable. Wow. So then um, we experimented with Lyrica and Lyrica was like a miracle. It was amazing. I'm on it right now. Oh, it did something that like interrupted whatever pain impulses I was having. Mm. And suddenly level 10 I'm blinded by this pain. It's difficult to make a sentence in this pain went down to like a three. And I was like, I can live with this. I can live through this. Yeah. Mm, And in comparison, when you're in horrific pain, less pain can feel amazing. Like, like good. It's, it's so perverse and weird. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so then I'm almost done with this story. So then I wrote a one person show all about this. So you can go see fill in the blank. And that is the story of Claudia trying to get like a diagnosis because I was really certain that what you do is you get sick, you get a diagnosis, you get a um, you get what better or not better. And that's the end of the story. And then I discovered, oh, no, that's fictional. Yeah. That's not how it works. So um, I was just living as a disabled person, I'm managing my pain pretty well. Oh, and I stopped taking Valerica because it was giving me aphasia. And I was like, aphasia, okay. like the I can't speak disease from that episode of Deep Space Nine. Uh, yes, it was. I would say a word 
And I would think that I said the word I thought, but it would be a different word that came out of my mouth. No way. There are, yeah, like suicidality. There's there's a couple of different um, um, things that Lyrica can do to your brain. Um, you can also see that in my one person show because I was I was bummed as heck yeah. to go, oh, this drug that's actually working for me. I can't take it because the it's impacting my life in a way where I negotiate, I negotiate thousands, thousands of dollars. I can't think I said something when I said something different. I'm literally a spoken word poet. The words coming out of my mouth need to be the words that are inside my head. Wow. This is we can't I can't live like this. So then I had to go back to all right. We're going to go back to being in a lifestyle where we're in level 10 pain and we're figuring out what are the what are the different uh, diet things that we can change in our life? What are the different extreme lifestyle changes we can make? So like one of the most extreme lifestyle changes is I have my own business. I work for myself and I work from home because mm -hmm. it. I could not do a job that required me to take my body and be in an office at a regular time in a regular place like that would that would ruin me. Um, so so I made big changes. Um, and then about a year ago, my entire body swole up and I was in more pain than I'd ever been in. And I was like, what, what, what? <laughs> possible? I thought that I had experienced the highest levels of pain. I was wrong. Turns out there was more. Um, apparently, we did a biopsy. So I once again went to the through the medical industrial complex, and I have sarcoidosis. Um, but again, that's I, I don't trust any of this stuff. They still they're like, hey, we notice your heart's swollen. We see that you're in this pain. We're, we're, your lungs are fine. They're doing all these tests. My eyes are good. They still have a bunch of more tests to go. All I know is that my everyday life is. I wake up in pain. I wake up in the smallest amount of pain and I linger there. I just soak in that moment before the day starts and it's so nice and it's so good. And then I have to move. Mm. And then as I move, my body goes, nope, can't do that. That's gonna hurt a lot. And then I um, do all the different things I do to get my body into a place where I can sit in a chair in front of a computer and do this for a couple of hours. I've got a bed right there where I can immediately rest. If things get too bad and the ice packs stop working, I can transfer myself to my bed desk and rest there. But I, I am going through a phase of constant nausea, constant discomfort, and breakout level pain where it's like, oh, it feels like you're being stabbed with a sword. You are vocalizing involuntarily sounds come out of your mouth when it's this level of pain, mm -hmm. which has just been for the lifestyle I lead super annoying um, <laughs> because I like to do a lot of things. Wow. Okay. I have questions. Ama First of all, <laughs> amazingly well told. Um, thank you for sharing all that. What is sarcoidosis? I don't know. <laughs> so, okay, so I saw sarcoidosis uh, and that word all the time on House. Right? I know, I watched House too. Yeah. That's, so when the doctors yeah. were like, we think it's sarcoidosis, I, I turned to my sister and we were like, oh my God, it's that one. Okay. And then we were like, we don't know what that means. So we looked it up. And of course, the internet is like, it means everything, girls, everything. So apparently, my body is having some kind of inflammatory reaction there are things called granulomas that are like literally growing inside of me so mm. that's a thing but like 
sarcoidosis can be anything from, oh, you just got a little lump under your skin and that's annoying to, oh, it's all up in your lungs and you can't breathe anymore and you're going to die. So it's like, it's, it's why they're being so hype and sending me to get all these tests, but also it's a diagnosis of exclusion, which means there could, I, all I know is that I hurt all the time and I want to find out why something feels larger than it should be inside my body i'd like for that feeling to go away um and so i'm just getting all the tests i wish i knew though i don't yeah know. so you're still in the midst you're still like me you just don't know what it is you're still pushing and fighting and trying to figure it out yes but it's weird because i've gone to the mayo clinic and they have been like oh yeah totally there's something totally wrong with you here's a piece of paper that says words yeah and i went to the doctor and they were like oh and this is also strange the i got the diagnosis of sarcoidosis and then it put me into two weeks of just radio silence like i go wow. get the biopsy and i think that this is going to be the moment where it's like now everything changes you've got the word and there are treatments for sarcoidosis and that's a thing that people have heard of no the gp my general practitioner is like no girl they told you about sarcoidosis they're gonna do the sarcoidosis things with you i was like no they were there's still things wrong you sent me to a lung specialist and yeah they, they diagnosed that but they're also saying we don't think there's anything wrong with your lungs we think it's other parts of your body yeah so it's like you have sarcoidosis go see someone else Yes. Yeah, which is very unhelpful. I'm so curious about your Mayo Clinic experience. You're the first person who's been on the podcast who's been to the Mayo oh, Clinic, and this it was fabulous. You know, I have to say, like, I I applied to the Mayo Clinic years ago and was rejected. I couldn't get in. So, I'm, first of all, I'm curious how you got in. Second of all, I, I've heard very conflicting reports. So, a lot of people talk about it as being sort of the last bastion of of diagnosis. You know, if you haven't been able to get a diagnosis, this is the best place in the world to go to get a diagnosis. And then I've heard things from other people that that is absolutely not the case and that they had sort of, you know, horrifying experiences there. But I don't know what the reality is. I haven't lived it. Uh, I've never talked to someone who's been there. Uh, and, you know, it was something that was on the back burner for me for years. But, you know, I'm up here in Seattle. I go to the University of Washington. I have finally found a really great team who's interested in helping to diagnose me. It's been amazing. We're making progress. I'm trying new things. Uh, so the Mayo Clinic is not really on the table for me at this moment. But I'm really curious to hear about, about it from you. Um, well, you know, it required me taking time off work. So I was... I. I was hit with something that should have destroyed my career and made me homeless. Yeah. I couldn't work. Everyone at my job was like, so sorry, you're a sick person. Guess you can't do anything. And I was like, fuck you. I need this health insurance. <laughs> so forgive my spicy language. Okay. So I, I, um, I did my entire job with one arm and, and my, and my computer set up next to my bed because that's all I needed. I was like, I'm booking artists. All I need to do is to be able to look at their demos and negotiate with them with my voice. So all these artists showed up later and they were like, girl, and I was like, yeah, it's been happening for a while. I just didn't <laughs> tell you while we were negotiating your contract. Um, so I had to take two weeks off of work to do this trip. That was so like, that was a thing. Um, I got a family member to go with me because I was, I was too sick to drive myself anywhere. And, and the Mayo Clinic requires driving. I got a friend who had like a, like a sublet or something like, no, no, not a sublet. What do you call it when you have a place that everybody's sharing and they're paying a piece of it? Like a share a bath? Timeshare? Time 
time lapse or get a timeshare. They had a timeshare. So I so we stayed in their timeshare on a golf course, which my <laughs> father loved because he loves golfing. And I was like, this is great. I'll go get tested. You'll go golfing. Um, so we stayed in this nice place. And um, it was it was amazing because it was like I went and they were like, great, we're going to have you see we're going to have this expert see you, this expert see you, this expert see you, this expert see you. It didn't require me having to drive long distances. They were all in the same building. They gave you a beeper so that like when it was time to go to one place, boop, boop. So you could get seen by specialists throughout the day. So like the the journey that I've been on, I've been. I've had something seriously wrong with me since last November. We only started to go, oh, this is what's happening in July. That's what it is. It's like you have to wait two weeks in between tests when you're when you're doing them in the context of which I'm doing them, which is mm-hmm. I'm a poor person and I'm, I get I have the poor per- person's insurance. So they I'm on the slow path at the Mayo Clinic. They were like, let's get you in and out. Let's see what this all is. Da, 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 da. That does not mean that I was not sitting in a room with this white woman who like the first words out of her mouth were your job has a lot of stress, doesn't it? Uh. And I was like, bitch. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My job has a lot of stress. Where are you going with this physiologist? Mm -hmm. Where are you going with this? Of course she was going to the place of, well, you women so stressed out. What you should do. Drink some more tea. Just try to relax. Like, yeah. have you tried not hurting and like just relax? <laughs> like, like oh, have yeah. you tried oh, not being it. stressed out by your unknown illness? Like, yeah. have you have you thought that maybe your unknown illness is actually all in your head mm. and actually there's nothing wrong with you? Have you tried that? And I was <laughs> like, how is what what is how is this helpful in any context, especially when there are literal other specialists here saying the opposite of what you're telling? Me. Yeah. So I don't think that the Mayo Clinic has all the best doctors. I don't think I think that I experienced racism. I think I experienced sexism. I think I experienced ageism because I look young. I look so much younger than I than I actually am all the time. So people treated me as if. I must be mistaken about my lived experience as I told it to them. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm amazing. And people <laughs> people were expecting, they were like, oh, if this is true for you, these things can't be true for you. Well, you can't travel to China and still be in constant pain every day and be unable to like regulate some things in your body. You can't have done that. I'm like... I do whatever I want. I do what I want. <laughs> um, but th- but that has been a thing that has caused some doctors to go, oh, I don't believe you because your story, uh, th- there isn't an accompanying story of I couldn't do this stuff. I got disabled and then I figured out how to enable myself despite being disabled. Mm. And it seems like you really powered through that in a way that I have not really heard from people before or or experienced myself. You know, like my, my illness has gone up and down throughout my life. But the last time it flared up, I was just like on my back for, you know, the better part of six years. Uh, and I really, really trying to to get anything going, but like not being able to find that, um, I, the, 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 I don't know what it is that you have that allows you to keep working through this. That's, that's incredible. I just, I, I like my things. I like the stories I tell. I like them so much. I like having good times with my friends. I'm resentful. It's just, that's just me being like, no, I don't want to. But, but also I should not give a false impression that like my experience of constant pain and, 
and and dysfunction is like a fun good times thing that everybody should want and have <laughs> or like or like I'm like yes throughout the day you know I have moments of um I make sure my life is full of pleasure and good exchange so like every single day if I if I'm living my life right there are fresh flowers there's there is there is there are things growing there um there there is something that's just like in nature that you can just enjoy there's an exchange with another human being that will be delightful that will make me laugh out loud um um i i make sure i have exchanges with other human beings also that are like invigorating they have an opinion about a thing i have a different opinion and now we're talking about a thing it's yeah. low stake but we have different opinions i love this um but there are pieces of my day where i am literally curled in a ball going I don't know how to do this. Yeah. I'm not sure if I can keep going like this. I don't know how to continue. So like I um I'm working to right size my life once again and it's so infuriating. Yeah. Cuz I literally made a practice that could be done while I was lying in a bed and now I have a body that will sometimes not allow me to do anything. I can't even look at a movie while I'm lying in that bed. So I've had to reduce the amount that I produce in the world and I don't like it. This, I totally, I totally empathize with that. I experienced that as well. Like the days I want to create and just can't just so infuriating. Um, but I'm curious about this mindset that you have, because it's something that I have come to over years of being chronically ill of like, okay, I need to start having some joy every day. I can't be in a waiting pattern, waiting for these doctors, waiting for my body. I need to I need to live inside of this and that took me years to get to and it's made such a positive impact on my life. Is that the way you've always been? Did you hit the ground running like that when your chronic illness flared up or is that something that you have learned to develop over time? That's that I think that is a definitely a Claudia personality quirk where mm. if things go bad, I smile and I roll up my sleeves and I say all right. Let's address this. Um, now, I think that comes from a childhood full of trauma and also, you know, just having a family that has a lot of resilient practices. So so I think that I was I also had family members who had suffered through chronic illness. So I also had some I, I, I had relationships that were already based in creating accessibility for disabled people. Yeah, I had people in my life where upon immediately upon me being disabled. I had people who could come to me and say, all right, I have Parkinson's. This is my, this is my experience. Like I recall that he was a rabbi because I did a lot of, I was like a, a community leader. So I was friends with all the leadership of all the things. And that's also a beautiful thing. Be friends with all the rabbis, be friends <laughs> with all the religious leaders. When you're sick, they got good advice for you. So this rabbi had Parkinson's and we talked to, and he talked about how um, I needed to figure out what the difference was between being uncomfortable and being in pain hmm. and he's like and i love that i was like okay i get what you're saying this is me deciding there's a difference there's a difference between i'm receiving um a body signal that says you need to change something right now and when am i receiving body signals just like yeah you're uncomfortable right now i'm uncomfortable i was receiving a signal that said you're in pain and it will continue to rise if you don't do something i got the ice pack now i'm just uncomfortable yeah so from what I'm hearing from you about the Mayo Clinic is that it is not necessarily that much better than, you know, medical systems, other places, except for the speed with which you can be seen. 
and the sort of efficiency of getting from doctor to doctor. Is that, does that sound right? That was my experience. Yeah. Like it's, it's interesting because also apparently this is according to the rheumatologist I just saw. I was not expecting this. I go to see the rheumatologist because the, the sarcoidosis thing, they have sending me everywhere and they do a thing where they make my, they're like, Oh, look at how your thumb, you can do this with your thumb. And I was like, yeah. So like, doesn't everybody do that with their thumbs? Yeah. And they were like, no, that's, that's like the hypermobility uh, test. Yeah. They were doing hyper. I don't know what they are. So they're yeah. like making my body stretch. And I was like, I am here because it hurts here. Why aren't you moving my thumbs but <laughs> out? um hypermobility is a thing that could potentially be a part of my diagnosis and i was like oh interesting that no one at the mayo clinic asked me to stretch my thumbs mm. not one of them they had me pee in a bucket for a while and and they tested the heck out of that pee but they did <laughs> not have me stretch my thumbs and do weird things with my toes um so i i also feel like this is I think that if I went back to the Mayo Clinic, um, things have changed in the last 10 years so that I, I might have a, a slightly different experience. Who knows? Yeah, because um, you've probably learned a ton about your body in the last 10 years that you can share with them. You know, they'd have a lot of different information to go off of. And I feel like I've learned all the wrong lessons because like what I've been doing <laughs> for 10 years is I've learned how to ignore my body. I've learned how to not listen to it when it's telling me something is really wrong. It's why it took me so long to go to the hospital for this sarcoidosis thing. It's because I was in level 10 pain all the time. So, so the only thing that made me go was I was like, oh, it's Thanksgiving and I'm curled in a ball and I can't eat and I can't do anything. And this is, this does seem bigger than flares in the past. I also think that I have a bad habit of uh, masking mm. all the time. Um, because if you're a black woman and you present anything other than efficacy and full confidence in your ability to do a thing, people will go, oh, well, you can't do the thing. You don't even think you can do the thing. Um, if I say something without this voice, without this tone, people won't hear the words I said and later, they'll be like, you didn't even say that. And I'm like, I know I said what I said. I speak in a very specific way on purpose. The problem is that confidence, that way of presenting myself, it gets read as being not vulnerable, of being not weak, of not needing help. And so I think that I um, I accidentally tell doctors, I tell doctors a story of me surviving through pain, not being killed by my pain. And then they will often be like, oh, well, then you're fine. Right, right. You're doing great. Keep hey. it up. It's so hard to explain to someone who's not in your body what your body is experiencing. And masking is a huge part of this. Is like in order to, to be a part of society, we have to mask. And then we spend that time curled up in a ball on the couch in pain, resting and letting your body recover. But the world doesn't see that. So, you know, I am still dealing with this recently where like people in my life don't understand what I'm going through, even though. I have a whole podcast about it, you know, <laughs> I talk about it a lot and I'm an open book about it, but, but it, for a lot of people seeing is believing. And unless they see those moments where you are in so much pain that you can't move, um, it just won't make sense to them when you talk about it. It won't register. It's like visual learning versus auditory learning. Some people just can't, can't process what you're saying about your experience. And then they just sort of disregard it and just, you know, say, oh, well, you know, it's no big deal when in fact it is a huge deal and it is this thing that you have been working towards understanding for, you know, over a decade at this point. 
I recall earlier today I was making a TikTok. So I'm holding on to the tripod and I've got my cane. I'm just like, oh, all right, that hurts so much. You're not throwing up. Okay, we're fine. Click. And this is what I have to say about this opinion. And I put on a smile (laughs) and I said the words and I held it for three minutes and then I did. And then I curled up in a bowl and I lie down for five minutes. Yeah. And, and so the product that I'm presenting to the world gives people the impression that I didn't just spend 10 minutes, like it took, it took some effort to get to, to get to that presentation. Um, that's real. Yeah, absolutely. And that effort, you know, in order to do that, you, you have to expend a lot of yourself and then you have less energy to do anything else after that. And that, you know, creates a lot of, uh, really hard decisions of like, what am I going to do with my time? You know, this is like an anxiety that I have about like, okay, I'm feeling good today. I got to do everything before I start to feel bad. Do you, do you live with that? Yes. Well, so you might have heard a ding in the middle of this podcast. I apologize because I don't, and I don't know how to turn my phone off apparently to make it, it not make noises. So it, made, it went ding. And that was the ding from Crip Create. Um, so I have designed a bunch of accessible co-working spaces for myself. Crip Create is one that I, um, I hold with disability dr- justice dreaming and the curiosity paradox. It takes place once a week. It's two hours and it's two hours of co-working space where none of us have to mask. And also we can do the work, whatever that work is, because maybe the work is not being in pain and getting out of crisis with your body. So like some, like we meet, everybody says what their goal is for the next two hours. Some people are, my goal is to get food in my body. Some people are like, my goal is to answer these nine emails. Some people are like, my goal is to make these doctor's appointments. Some people are like, my goal is to update this website. So it's, you know, sometimes people's goal is I'm, I'm working on a grant. So it's like, it has a lot of professional diversity and diversity in what we can do in there. And the other day was the best session because I had, I felt really bad. I've been in a gigantic flare and this institution wanted to give me all this money to do a project. And I had not started the project. I didn't know what the project was. Every time I went to go look at the emails, it filled me with anxiety and stress chemicals. I was like, ah, I was like, I need to do this, but I'm going to have to mutter while I'm doing it. I'm going to be like, ah, I'm not sure what this is. Why are you like this? Ah. And somebody else in the circle was like, somebody else muttering while they were doing their work is exactly what I need. Mm. And so we all went into a breakout room, which was the mutterers and the listeners, and we got our work done and it was marvelous. Um, it's really amazing being in space. It's like, do you know Carmen Papalia? <gasps> okay, you have to meet with Carmen. Carmen has a project called Pain Pals. Carmen Papalia is this amazing artist. Um, just Google, Google Carmen Papalia and like a lot of their stuff about museums and art will come up. I'm working with Carmen with the Cryptech Incubator and they're working on like this idea of like, if you're playing a video game, could your video game character have pain levels that like impact their ability to play? I was like, that's interesting. Cause yeah. I feel like I'm playing that video game all the time. I feel like that's what we're just talking about. Yeah. So, so you do have, you know, it sounds like you do experience some of this anxiety around like, what am I going to be able to accomplish? But you have built so many spaces for yourself and ways through it that you, you stay productive. I try. I mean, you know, part of the problem is also if you're going through a really good phase, you might overcommit. For sure. And so what I've been trying to do is just keep a really tight rein on what my capacities are, not overcommit. 
um, but also build projects that have crypt time designed into them. Like for instance, Gaming for Justice, which is our weekly video game Twitch stream where we play the video games, talk about social justice topics. But it's run on a crypt time producing model, which means if one person on that producing team says, I have a headache, I don't feel like it, we call it. Our rest and wellness is worth more than that show. We do that show mostly for our pleasure and fun. Mm -hmm. So it allows for that framework. There's a communications framework, though. So the audience knows, you know, we're going to show up. But like if if it doesn't happen, there's a note in the discord to be like, yeah, we're coming back next week. Um, and I, I, I like having spaces where we are not lying to ourselves or not dishonest mm -hmm. about what the human condition is. I think that most workspaces, they want you to perform being an empty vessel that they can just fill with their needs and desires. And if you fail to do that, then they're like, well, you're just not a good worker. We can't. And I'm like, oh, that's that's disposable culture mm. like that results in communities where no one can work anymore. We got to do better. That's why I work for myself and create my own frameworks for others to work with me. Yeah, so that we're doing amazing. It in ways that don't hurt us. I love that. Um, I want to jump back to something you said about Lyrica. You know, we talked about the aphasia that you experienced from that. I'm on Lyrica right now. It's something that we're trialing. And that piqued my curiosity. How long were you on Lyrica before that uh, aphasia started? I'm not going to remember. Oh, I feel like I, I literally am going to have to go back to my one person show to like read yeah. it to be like, because maybe, it, maybe it's in there. Um, yeah, I just remember I took it and it was immediate. Like the mm. impact was immediate. I took it and the next day I was able to, with help, have somebody get me down my stairs and I was riding my scooter around the block and I was like, yes, <laughs> this is, this is, this is the stuff um uh, the the experience of aphasia it happened over time right where people would have to tell me what mm. what did you just say and i'd be like what are you talking about so then and then there was the going to the doctors to say i'm having this i'm having this reaction and then having the hard conversation about well you get to decide if that's something you can live with or if that's something you can't live with and, wow. and also it's brain chemistry everybody's brains are different so like I don't want to freak people out about this drug. I just know that that my brain reacted to it in ways that weren't useful for my life, so I couldn't use it. Totally. How long um, do you remember how long it took after going off of Lyrica for these symptoms to resolve? I want to say it was a it was a couple of months. Wow. It was a couple of months before cuz my brain did feel different. It felt different. Um uh, there were some sharp fast connections that I hadn't realized I'd lost until I regained them. And I was like, oh, and that might be a little bit of my ADHD brain that I've just learned to love. Um, but like, there were some, there were some ways that my cognition had been impacted other than the aphasia. Um, and of course, like it took about a week, a week and a half before the pain started to go. Womp, 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 womp. Just turn back up. Yeah. But yeah. it was interesting because it like it, it turned back on kind of like it was a spigot or something. So I don't mm. know if it was like my brain slowly readjusting to its normal chemicals. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. One, So one of my fears has been, you know, hitting these points where it's like, this is the last bastion of diagnostics, like the Mayo Clinic. One of my fears has been going to something like that and not getting a diagnosis. 
it's almost like part of, you know, I did try to go and I was rejected and we thought about reapplying, but now it doesn't feel necessary. Um, but there was a big part of me that was afraid to go because it felt like if they didn't find a diagnosis, that was the end. You know, like there was nothing after that. And you, you've been through that. You pushed through it. You're still fighting. You're still looking for more things. Did you have a feeling like that? And how did you get through that? Well, well, the end of fill in the blank is me going, okay, F these doctors. I'm just going to do me. So mm. like, The experience of going to the Mayo Clinic was the negative experience that it was. It was me going, doing everything that Western science told me I was supposed to do and then receiving a non-diagnosis diagnosis, diagnosis, which I think was was worse than than anything. Because I'm like, oh, what they should have said was, we don't know what's going on. We need you to stay. There's still something really wrong with you. We need you to stay so we can continue figuring out. I should also reflect, I'm remembering they used me for a study. <laughs> I know. Like in retrospect, I look back and I go, oh, right. That was definitely somebody doing some shit with me so that they could maintain their funding, not necessarily measuring my brain and doing all this stuff to make sure things weren't really wrong with me. But yeah. it was a fascinating thing with like electrodes on my head. Very cool. Um, so, yeah, I I, I feel like experts always want to give you answers and there's a reason why you get second opinions um and to a certain extent uh doctors are um are artists and they're collaborative artists some are shitty collaborative artists and they don't want to collaborate with you they don't want to like listen to you acknowledge the truth or ask you for more data they want to go oh I'm working out of this very narrow coloring book and I'm going to decide you're this. And if you're not in here, I'm going to try and get rid of you because you make my story bad. There's a lot of doctors out there that don't want to treat you because you make a story about them where they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, that's so. It has to be that story. I've experienced a lot, a lot of these things as well. So another thing that I've also experienced is is this idea of doctors trying to tell you that what you're experiencing is your fault because of your stress level or something like that. And it was something the first time I heard it, I laughed because I'm like, that's ridiculous. Like, I can't even believe you would say that. That's so silly. But after I heard it from like 20, 30 doctors, I had a real sit down with myself and I'm like, am I, am I causing this? Am I making this up? And it, it put this like seed of doubt in my brain that ha- that was like absolute poison and has been a huge negative thing in my life. And this is what we talk about with me- medical gaslighting is like a doctor telling you over and over what you're experiencing isn't real to the point where you start to question the reality of, of it yourself. And it's extremely damaging. So I, has this happened to you? Did you start to question the reality of what you're experiencing after doctors told you over and over to question it? So gifts that I had before my body had its big like pfft. I already had, I was a Buddhist. I was raised Buddhist. I've been meditating every single day since I was 12. Come at me with, I don't have a daily meditative practice. Come (laughs) at me with, I am not aware of what's happening from the top of my head to the pinky toes. Like I had a daily practice of not, I was doing aerial dance. So I also had the gift of having this story of this person does these extraordinary physical things and now they can't even walk. Now I feel bad for my colleagues were like, they were only walking when they couldn't stop walking anymore. And the doctors didn't treat it like it was an emergency. 
They treated me like I was an emergency because Claudia was able to do these extraordinary things with her body and now she can't do anything. That helped me. Hmm. It helped me to resist the gaslighting by being able to say, yeah, I recognize everything you're saying about stress. These are things that I already know. I'm very, very, I'm a gigantic nerd. I've done research on, I work in the arts. I've been doing research on how, how to reduce my stress as a black woman, as a black female producer working in the arts. I've been working on self-reducing techniques since I was 19. <laughs> so I was like, so what can I add to the plate? Because I've got the yoga. Uh, I've got I've got the daily meditation. I've got my teas. I've got my bubble baths. I've got my strong friend network. I've got my therapist. I've got like, what else? What else? Mm -hmm. What's wrong? What's missing? And then I found out, oh, right. There's nothing wrong or missing in my practice. My practice is solid. They just wanted to find a reason that wasn't them not knowing. Mm, yeah, that's so important to, to hang on to that self-assuredness and to push back when doctors present those things. I didn't know that, you know, and doctors bring it up over and over and it starts to feel like a personal attack. And it's, it's something on the list that they all doctors will go through is like, well, is this person causing this to themselves because of stress? I don't know why that's on the list, but it is on the list. And, and like, when you hear it over and over, and it feels so personal, you know, that that's, that's the experience of the patient. But from the doctor's experience, it's one of the things on the list that they're going to bring up. So knowing that beforehand, and being ready with answers like that is, is great advice. Uh, for someone who's getting into this, maybe someone who's just become chronically ill, looking for answers. Um, it's real. It's great to have all those things, you know, buttoned up beforehand. Like I, I didn't have a therapist when I first started. I do now, and it's really helpful to. You know, I love therapy. I'm really into it, and it's really helpful to tell a doctor. You know, like I have a therapist, and and I feel like my emotional health is in a good place. I don't feel like that is what is happening with my physical health. First thing I did when I woke up in breakout pain, I not only started to do, I almost immediately got a therapist. Why? Because I recognized that they were going to try and gaslight me and tell me things were about me and my brain. Um, I'm really grateful to that therapist because honestly, I wanted the doctors to be right. Because if it was, if it was literally the only reason I'm in this horrifying pain is because I have some unresolved trauma from my childhood or like um, maybe maybe I'm just like really angry about about something at my job. And I could just have like a really intense cathartic exchange like on Goodwill hunting and they would be like, <laughs> it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And suddenly I would be better. I was like, that would be amazing. Let's mm. do that. And then <laughs> this is like, girl, your body's jacked up. There's something <laughs> wrong with like the i can't help your guts there's something in there and yeah. we can't work on that what we can work on are communication techniques with these stress inducing doctors because mm. what's more stressful like you want to make me you want to make me mad you want to make me stressed out tell me something is happening tell me gaslight me yeah threaten my reality tell me i don't know what's happening with myself and then suddenly you're going to see my shoulders I will be, I will be more stressed out. And then, and then they can create a narrative around that. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. What are your coping mechanisms? It sounds like, you know, you're still in this maelstrom of trying to find a diagnosis. Um, but I can see that you're, you know, our podcast listeners can't see you, but I can see that you're wearing gloves. Um, you talked about ice packs. What are the tools that you use to get through the day? 
Um, so the tools I use right now, the ice packs are gigantic. They're the things that allow me to like, like to be sitting in this chair and having a conversation with you. The ice packs are necessary for that. Um, um, I have a walker. I have canes. Uh, these gloves are to protect my hands because I I don't have um, a great sense of balance. So sometimes the world is less stable than it should be. And I just have to grab onto something randomly. And so this helps my, my palms from getting torn up or whatever. Mm. Um, so, so I've got that. I've got um, all of my computer devices. So my computer devices are what allow me to do all of my work. But I also have a team of people I work with. I have a personal assistant. I have an executive assistant. Um, that's what allows me to make like I can't, I can't make thirty thousand dollars on a contract unless I have two other people providing some some base level support to make sure I make my appointments and they're in the calendar. And I'm not, and if I go through like a three day flare, we're not dropping balls, stuff like that. Um, uh, sometimes I can't stand long enough to prep my food, so like that's what we're working on right now. I was able to have a friend come over uh, two weeks ago, and they just prepped my meals for me. And that was the week that I was able to get the entire, hold on, wait for it, podcast published on um, uh, callingupjustice.com. The only reason I had the spoons available to do that was because I didn't spend the entire day prepping food. Mm. So I'm like, oh, I need I need to get someone to do that. Um, it's it's really hard. I used to, my lifestyle used to be so so much different. I lived in a small town where for the first year I was in that small town, I was able-bodied and my love language is service. So I was just doing acts of service every single day in that town, immediately got sick. But because it was a small town, the narrative of my acts of service was really legible. People came to me to say, hey, you helped me do this thing six months ago. Can I help you get your scooter? You helped me do this thing. Can I give you rides to the grocery store? But also it was small enough where somebody could be at the grocery store and be like, hey, girl, I'm at the store. Do you want anything? And drop it off at my house. I now live in the Bay Area where everything's more spread out. So like I have a friend who's like, I want to be able to call you when I'm at the store and grab you something, but you're 45 minutes away from me. And and my lifestyle doesn't allow me to do that extra trip. Mm. So I'm 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 still trying to figure out how to how to get how to get help in a way that feels like it's community, not I'm ordering from Instacart. Yeah. And, and investing in corporate gig economy badness, which is where some of my money is going right now in a way that I resent. I know. I feel that too. And it's tough because like you got to eat and you got to get groceries. And if I, if I don't have the spoons to go to the grocery store, which I often don't, then, you know, I use Amazon fresh with my EBT card and I get subpar produce, but it, you know, it, it shows up and I get to eat. So it, it's really, it's really tough. You know, it's a tough calculation. I want to grow my own food. Damn it. I want to like have a garden and grow my own vegetables. That'd be amazing. Do you have any anger when you think back to, you know, that you're just talking about that first year in this small town where your life was so different. When you think back to who you were before this illness flared up, do you have any anger that this has happened to you? Oh, well, I, cause I was going to be like, I am so angry all the time. I'm the Hulk, but not about that. <laughs> Um, I'm still amazing and fabulous. And, and so, so I don't, I don't have any like, oh, the past Claudia who could have done all the things that I don't have any, any feelings about that. I am angry at specific people 
who had moments where they could have helped me and they decided not to. Mm. I have I have resentments about colleagues who walked fast and left me behind when we were walking in a group. And I was like, you know what you're doing. You're making a choice. You're deciding that I slow you down. You're doing ableist stuff. So I'm angry at folks who did ableist things. I'm angry at doctors who did things that were malpractice. I'm I'm angry at the way our society is shaped. And that anger fuels me. That's why I make my money helping to redesign everything and doing interventionist work and building spaces where we're at least modeling that we don't have to we don't have to live like this. <laughs> Yeah. We could be doing things so much more accessibly and joyfully. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just a strong advocate of, of designing with disabled justice modalities and making it good for everybody, especially nowadays. Like with COVID, our ranks are growing. Mm -hmm. And and it's annoying because they're growing with folks who aren't woke yet. So it's like it's like, oh, we've got this flood of new community members who don't know any better and are ready to give away the game, are ready to be like, no, it's me. I'm lazy. It's like, no, you're not lazy. You have brain fog and you're exhausted and you're low spoons. Stop. St join us in advocating for us being the new standard. I should be the standard for all design. That's what I think. Mm, wow. Um I have one last question for you. If you could travel through time and visit yourself on the day where your illness first started, if you could give oh. yourself one message to help Go to your the doctor. <laughs> Go to the doctor. No, you don't even know. I laid there in level 10 pain being like, oh, shit, I can sleep this off. Boy, boy, that's I should you know what I should do. I should call in, let them know I can't come in this afternoon. So I called out of work, lying there in so much pain and agony by myself like an idiot mm. for like six hours because I was like, this needs to not be true. Mm. <laughs> I need to not have this be true. So, yeah, go to the doctor now. Yeah. Call the company manager now. <laughs> Well, Claudia, this has been so much fun. I, I've, you know, it's amazing how much fun it can be to talk about level 10 pain, but you did an incredible job today. We covered so much ground so quickly, which is amazing. Um, and, you know, I know what it's like to be undiagnosed and the frustration of living with something that you don't understand. Uh, and I have recently been doing so much better at getting on top of it as far as being able to be productive as well. You know, starting this podcast was the first step in that for me, and it's been amazing. And now I'm trying to branch out into other things, and it's so exciting. And I, I look at you as a model of someone who is living with chronic illness and, you know, still making positive change, positive impact in the world, and doing a hell of a lot, which is so admirable. So, uh, before we wrap up today, tell our listeners where they can go to find what you're doing. Um, they can go to Linktree slash Calling Up Justice, and many of our things will be there. Uh, projects include, you can sign up for these amazing co-working spaces to you know, do fun things. We've got um, Trek Table is on hiatus right now oh. since um, Discovery is, is off the air, but you can go check out all of the episodes of Trek Table or the podcast Hold On, Wait For It, or other random amazing things on the tick that we that we produce through our TikToks and whatnot. Um, currently, we are working on a project called F 
the gala, which is an asynchronous meditation on arts fundraising, where we're we're inviting um, funders and artists um, to explore what makes sense around arts fundraising, best practices, and some new ways to do stuff. Wow. So all kinds of stuff you can check out. Go to callingupjustice.com. Yeah, so much. You do so much. It's amazing. And I'll tag you on TikTok and Instagram. Those are the two social media platforms I use for this podcast. If people want a quick cool. way to, to find you there. Um, that link tree is a great tip. Everything listed there. That's amazing. Um, Claudia, thank you so much for your time today. I know how busy you are, and I really appreciate you setting aside this time to talk to me, to come on the podcast, to share your story. I wish you all the best in your journey with your diagnosis, with uh, with whatever's happening with sarcoidosis. Hard word to say. Um, and please keep me updated. Uh, it's been a thrill talking today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Brooke Walters Schmidt, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Danielle Signorelli, Alexandria Henderson, and Justin Minnick. And our $25 per month producers Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash majorpain podcast.